turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Kirk Elliott, PhD. In an uncertain economy, if you're looking for wealth management solutions and financial advice, go to kirkelliottphd.com and make an appointment today. Coming up, I'll review the latest discoveries about the magnitude of Biden regime censorship being carried out through digital platforms. Also show how some of the nonprofits that serve as middlemen were actually created by the U.S. government. Cash Patel, former deputy assistant to Trump, also chief of staff for Department of Defense, joins me. He's going to talk about his role in the movie Police State and about the architecture of the police state itself. Hey, if you're watching on Rumble or listening on Apple, Google, or Spotify, please subscribe to my channel. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Show. Times are crazy. In a time of confusion, division, and lies, we need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast. Some election results from last night, and by and large, they are not good. I want to highlight two The first is that um, in Kentucky, where a very good candidate, I thought, Daniel Cameron, running against Andy Beshear. Now, Andy Beshear was the incumbent governor, and he is a Democrat, but not far left. And he's also a very effective campaigner. And uh, he pulled it off, 52 to 47, 48 And so in a deep red state, Kentucky, you have still a Democratic governor. Now, I don't think it's the case that um, that Daniel Cameron was a bad candidate. Uh, But I also think that an important factor in these elections is turning out to be money, money, because um, the GOP is being outspent in these races. You know, it's one thing, first of all, if I think back to the um, uh, 80s and 90s, the GOP would often be the, the party with more money. And the Democrats would be like, we don't have enough money. It's tough for us to compete. Um, and then that became kind of more uh, evenly balanced. But the Democrats now have taken a huge uh, fundraising lead. And for this, I actually blame the RNC because the, it is the job of the RNC to make sure that these important races are properly funded. And it's the job of the RNC to raise the money. And uh, evidently, they aren't doing it. Or if they're raising the money, they're not properly deploying it. And so you've got candidates, and and sometimes it is a tough race. The other side has a good candidate, as in this case. And uh, so you need to have proper funds to be able to uh, do the campaign ads, to do the get out the vote, to do all the things that, that make a difference in a close 
election. There have been calls for Rona McDaniel to step down. I don't think she should have been appointed in the first place. And um, But uh, I think this woman is just going to doggedly hang on to her job. And this is very, uh, to me, bad news going into 2024, because that's couldn't be a more critical election coming up next year. And what the RNC has been doing so far does not, I repeat, not inspire confidence. Uh, the second result I want to highlight in Ohio, uh, and I won't talk substantively about it because I think Debbie and I are planning to do that in the next couple of days, is discuss the abortion referendum, a referendum that by and large legalizes abortion for all nine months, for the full term of the pregnancy. Wow. And um, doesn't even prohibit late-term abortion. And this goes up in a moderately conservative state. Now, Midwestern states, Debbie and I were talking about this last night, are not right-wing or left-wing. By and large, they tend to be sort of center-right or center-left. So Michigan, for example, is probably center-leaning blue, leaning left. Ohio is center-leaning right. But Ohio had a heartbeat bill that had been signed by the governor. And yet, a fairly decisive majority of voters strikes that down, eliminates the heartbeat bill, and creates essentially a Roe v. Wade, an abortion right in the state of Ohio. So that cannot be considered a win. It's certainly not a win for the pro-life movement, but I don't think it's a win for Republicans in general. And it raises some interesting questions about abortion going into the 2024 election, which Debbie and I are going to discuss. A uh, brief update on uh, on Police State. Uh, the movie, as I think you know, is now streaming on multiple platforms. I may name three. Rumble. It's streaming on Salem now. It's also streaming on um, Epic TV. And, um, and DVDs are available for sale. Unfortunately, not from Amazon, not from Walmart. They won't let us sell our DVDs. And again, look, I'm not claiming that that's the police state per se. These are big corporations. They're allowed to make these decisions. But the decisions are so arbitrary. They make no sense. There's nothing in the movie that's banned. There's nothing in the movie that's inaccurate. Fact checkers haven't said, oh, this didn't really even happen, Dinesh. Not at all. Everything in the movie is 100% accurate. The movie obviously has a market. So it's not, they're not saying, oh, nobody's going to want to buy your DVDs. On the contrary, they are blocking the sale of our DVDs. Well, look, the best remedy here is to, and we're reaching out to Walmart. We're going to, we're going to try to get them to reverse that decision. But in the meantime, guess what? Buy DVDs where we are able to sell them. And that's Salem Now, that's Shopify. So if you go to policestatefilm.net, just click on the tab to buy DVDs and get get your own DVD. But you know what? This is a great way to stock up for Christmas presents. And this is about the right time to do it. So go ahead and order a bunch of DVDs for family members or for friends. They'll be grateful you did. Because sometimes there are guys I find they're fans of mine, and yet somehow they're inert. They just don't take action themselves. They're like, it's almost like they want the movie to like pop up on their TV screen. So you can make it easier for them by delivering them a DVD and going, hey, here's the film you kind of wanted to be watching anyway. I'm making it easy for you. Watch it. Debbie and I started taking Relief Factor a couple of years ago, and what a difference we've seen in our joints. Nothing short of amazing. Aches and pains are totally gone thanks to this 100% drug-free solution called Relief Factor. It's a natural way to fight pain. Relief Factor is a daily supplement. It helps your body fight back against pain. It's 100% drug-free. Relief Factor was developed by doctors searching for a better alternative for pain. 
Relief Factor uses a unique formula of natural ingredients like turmeric and omega-3s to help reduce or eliminate the everyday aches and pains you are experiencing. Whether it's neck, back, joint, or muscle pain, Relief Factor can help you feel better. Unlike pills that simply mask your pain for a short time, Relief Factor helps support your body's natural response to inflammation so you feel better all day, every day. See how Relief Factor can help you with their three-week quick start kit. It's only $19.95. It comes with Relief Factor's Feel Better or Your Money Back Guarantee. So why not give it a try? Visit relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF. Again, the number, 800-4-RELIEF or go to relieffactor.com. When you feel the difference, you know it works. The censorship operation in this country is not something that is just done by the government or by the digital platforms, but by a kind of elaborate network. And typically, you've got three main players in this network. You've got the government and government agencies, and there are not two or three, more like 40 of them. And then you've got the nonprofits that are the middlemen. These are groups like the Virality Project, the Stanford Internet Observatory. And uh, then you've got the digital platforms. The government often doesn't want to censor directly because it's too obvious. The Supreme Court might go, whoa, that's a obvious violation of the First Amendment. And so this is where the middlemen come in. The middlemen are the couriers. They're the delivery boys. They're the people who take the lists from the agencies of the government and deliver them to the digital platforms. And so this is the way the game is played. Now, it has not been known until now that one of the leading middlemen, one of the leading nonprofits, and this is the group called the Stanford Internet Observatory, uh, S-I-O, the Stanford Internet Observatory, this group was a creation of the Department of Homeland Security. So in other words, it's not just that there was a nonprofit and the government came and said, hey guys, listen, uh, we've been studying disinformation and the nonprofit goes, oh, okay, well, we'll take those names for you. The government creates the middleman. And so I think all of this is going to be of great interest to the Supreme Court when they take up the Missouri versus Biden case next spring. In other words, you deal, the government is the censor, the government creates middlemen that are involved in the censorship, and then the digital platforms are the objects or they're the final stage of carrying out the censorship. People are actually banned from and on those platforms. Um, but um, it was some internal emails obtained by the House Oversight Committee that revealed that the government, and this is DHS, in fact, it's DHS's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, so-called CISA, this is the agency that was actively involved in creating the nonprofit called the Stanford Internet uh, Observatory. And one of the uh, founding uh, uh, partners of one of these groups uh, put out an email. This is a guy who's director of the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab. And he's the guy who revealed it in an email uh, where he basically says, we just set up an election integrity partnership at the request of DHS slash CISA. So he's saying it wasn't our idea. DHS CISA told us to do this, and so we did it. And um, and and then the House Oversight Committee goes on to describe that this whole censorship industry is aimed at suppressing information from Republicans and conservatives, even if true. 
and promulgating information that comes from the left and from Democrats, even if false. So take it out of your mind that somehow this censorship is all aimed at suppressing untruth. On the contrary, it is aimed at suppressing ideologically inconvenient truth. That is its objective. And you see from these emails that the government knows that they cannot directly censor. And therefore, they use a phrase. The phrase is called switchboarding. You know, just like you have a big switchboard and the switchboard is transmitting signals from here to there. What the government is doing is they're saying, listen, since we can't directly do this stuff, we transmit these signals to these nonprofits that we've set up. And then the nonprofits transmit them to the digital platform. So we achieve a government uh, mandated or a government sought result. But we do it without having the fingerprints of the government directly on the evidence itself. Now, the good news is that all of this, I mean, the bad news is that we're catching this. This is stuff that we're talking about that happened before the 2020 election. And in fact, was explicitly done in part to influence the 2020 election. And here we are finding out about it in late 2023. So that's the bad news. The bad news is this is a very kind of slow on the uptake. What can we... Nothing can be done about the things, the abuses that were already committed in retrospect. I guess we have small consolation that there are things that can be done to prevent these abuses from continuing. And to some degree, maybe there's already been some progress because government officials now have been saying, at least have been saying to the Congress, whether true or not, we're not doing this anymore. Uh, we've heard from the courts, and they're talking about the lower courts and the appellate courts. They know it's going to the Supreme Court. So we are we are kind of reforming our practices. But look at all the shameful abuses, the police state stuff, the gangsterism behind closed doors that has been going on in the censorship industry with the government not just working through nonprofits, but creating them. Debbie and I are on a really good health journey, but we still struggle to eat enough fruits, veggies, and fiber, and those are a requirement. Now, lucky for us, we discovered Balance of Nature. What better way to get all your fruits and veggies plus fiber than with Balance of Nature? This is Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule, so easy to take, made from fresh whole produce. The produce is powdered after an advanced vacuum cold process, which stabilizes the maximum nutrient content. And this is Balance of Nature's Fiber and Spice, a proprietary blend of fiber and 12 spices for overall and digestive health. Join Debbie and me. Start your journey to better health right now. Call 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. You'll get 35% off your first preferred order by using discount code AMERICA. Again, it's balanceofnature.com or call 800-246-8751. Get 35% off your first preferred order by using discount code AMERICA. Guys, I'm really happy to welcome to the podcast my friend Cash Patel. He served a variety of positions in government, deputy assistant to President Trump. He was senior director for counterterrorism on the National Security Council, deputy director of national intelligence, chief of staff for the Department of Defense. He is now founder and president of the Cash Foundation. He's also the author of a new book, Government Gangsters, The Deep State, The Truth and the Battle for Our Democracy. The website is fightwithcash.com. Cash, welcome to the podcast. You are also a star of our film, Police State, and uh, I hope that you were pleased with your portrayal of the film. It's always interesting. We we did, of course, an in-depth interview for an hour. It's the nature of films that is only going to be a part of that featured in the movie. 
Uh, were you happy with the way you uh, were portrayed in the film? Uh, hey, Dinesh, it's great to be with you. And congratulations on the success of Police State. I'm so happy to see the impact it's having around the country. And I might take a page out of your own book. I wish I didn't have to participate in a movie called The Police State. But <clears throat> that's where we are. And you did a masterful job with Bongino and Nick Searcy. And um, he really wove the story really well together for people who think, wait a second, this can't, this, is this science fiction? And then you're like, you know, you use realistic examples and it was just really powerful. Cash, let's talk about this story of the police state. This is also the theme of government gangsters. And, and let me start with your, the title of your book, which I think a very captivating title, by the way. Um, because we think of the government, at least I always have, as the people who are supposed to go after the gangsters, right? And there's a whole um, kind of uh, set of stories that go back to the movie The Untouchables. The the government is taking on these criminal uh, enterprises that develop the mafia and so on. And yet now we're facing a different kind of prospect that's very disquieting, that the thugs that we're dealing with are in the government. They're the people with badges. Uh, and I, I take it that by government gangsters, you don't just mean the police agencies of government. You mean that there are gangsters in a lot of other places. So let's begin by just asking you, where are these government gangsters to be found in the government? Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the, the book, Government Gangsters, complements your film, you know, quite nicely in, in what you're talking about. What we did in Government Gangsters was set out to show how the weaponization of government, of law enforcement, of intel, and of the administrative state, not just the guys with guns and badges, but the government career officials who are out there at every agency and department thwarting lawful directives from a commander-in-chief at the time, President Trump. And so we put it together in one place, and conveniently, I actually made a glossary of all the government gangsters in government at the end of the book by name and title, because I think it's important to highlight who these people are and where they are. And like your book walks, excuse me, like the film walks through, you know, how this started back at Ruby Ridge and goes all the way up through January 6th and where we're going forward with AI People have to be educated on the fact that this is happening, not that it's a right wing conspiracy. And so what I hope to put out in government gangsters were were individuals. And it's not a Republican or Democratic thing. I talk about guys like Christopher Ray, Merrick Garland, Rod Rosenstein, Bill Barr, Mark Esper, Gina Haspel, all of these people in some way or fashion that I personally encountered thwarted lawful directives from our commander in chief. And I was just dumbfounded. I said, wait a second. Are we just picking what rules of law we're supposed to follow and which ones we're not? And also, how are we going to target Americans? Are we doing it politically? Or are we doing it if you broke the law? And unfortunately, I found out it was way too much of the former and not enough of the latter. And so these government gangsters aren't just in those positions, but I go on to talk about you know, things like NARA, the National Archives. I never thought our librarians would become government gangsters, but here we are. They referred President Trump for prosecution, essentially, uh, when he left the White House with documents, even though he's allowed to do so. But they sat on Joe Biden's 10,000 emails for 10 years and never referred him. And that leads me to the two-tier system of justice, which is a central tenet of government gangsters. Now, let's trace the how all of this might have developed. Is it merely the case that you've got, because as I remember thinking back even to the Reagan years, when, when I was in my 20s, the 
bureaucracy, the Korea bureaucracy, was heavily democratic. Even then, the Korea bureaucracy in the State Department was that way. It was true, by and large, that D.C. was a democratic town, even though the Reaganites were officially running the place. But at the same time, we understood that there were bureaucratic motives that would cause Democrats, for example, to want to vote for higher taxes, would want to have a certain self-interest in preserving their bureaucracies, the size of their bureaucracies, the influence of their bureaucracies, But I don't think it went as far as thinking that somehow these people were going to try to put Republicans in jail or that they would be. So there obviously has been a an escalation. If you had to to put your finger on when that escalation occurred, was it at a particular point? Is it just the gradual polarization of the two parties in the country that is now just people are now just using administrative procedures to try to go after people? What do you think it is? I think it's been going on as as the movie portrays since back to Ruby Ridge and maybe a little before. But I think it metastasized and triggered at a certain point. And I'll get to that. But events like when we find out that John Brennan was utilizing spyware to snoop on Senate congressional staffers and then lie about it to the world. When we find out Clapper, the former DNI, um, lied about the FISA process and how that court was utilized to spy on Americans. Those are just two huge examples of a weaponized police state from two cabinet secretaries who not only did it illegally, but lied about it to Congress and the world. If you fast forward that and you track it through Donald Trump's announcement for presidency, for whatever reason, and I honestly haven't been able to figure out what the underlying reason is, but everyone in the media lost it. The Democratic Party lost it. The Republican rhino establishment class lost it. And I think those two forces came together to create this sort of weaponized police state and allow the activities like the Brennans and the Clappers of the world to continue with the Haspels and Espers and Bars of the world. Um, And that has never stopped, in my opinion. It sort of just kept going, kept going into the Trump presidency. And now that he's out running for re-election again, I think it's on um, steroids what they're trying to do to kneecap President Trump from even being on a ballot. And I think that shows you that it's not just a federal thing. It's at the county and state level. Um, it's in the local courts. Uh, it's in everyday life. It's in if you go to houses of worship, um, if you dare to go to school board meetings, every form of police state weaponization is in your face by the judges, by the cops, by the lawyers, by the council members. And I don't think they're going to stop. We'll be right back with Kash Patel. Last month, the G20 group announced it welcomed discussion of the effects of implementing central bank digital currencies in their countries. Now, these digital currencies could allow the government to track every purchase you make. They could allow officials to prohibit you from purchasing certain products or freeze or seize part or all of your money. Well, in essence, they give the government control over your finances. Not good. Concerned Americans are diversifying their assets into physical gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. Now, if you want a physical asset held in a tax-sheltered retirement account, you should call Birch Gold. Debbie and I customers, we buy our gold through Birch Gold. But find out for yourself. Text Inesh to 989898. They'll send you a free information kit on gold. Just information, no obligation. And here's the easiest way to become a Birch Gold customer. If you have an IRA or 401k from a previous employer, 
Birch Gold can help you convert it into an IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text Dinesh to 989898. Claim your free information kit on gold and call Birch Gold, because if digital currency becomes a reality, it's going to be nice to have some gold to fall back on. I'm back with uh, Cash Patel, founder and president of the Cash Foundation, author of Government Gangsters, The Deep State, The Truth, and The Battle for Our Democracy. Uh, Cash, you were mentioning about Trump and the sort of peculiar intensity of the reaction to Trump. I take it it's not because of Trump's um, extremism of his kind of way of thinking, because Trump is actually not that extreme. He's um, he's moderately right of center. Uh, I can't think of a single Trump position that is far out. And... Um, and yet, I do remember right after his election, there was a lot of talk about that, you know, we cannot normalize this guy, that Trump is, in a sense, Hitler circa 1933, that we need to um, sort of defeat his presidency by all means necessary. And I think what you're saying is that that this was a belief not merely among the Democrats, but among some people in the Republican Party. Now, <clears throat> could it be that even though Trump, I think, had no full comprehension of the depth of the police state? He couldn't have. In fact, part of his claim was, I'm coming from outside the government. I'm an outsider walking in here. But nevertheless, they thought that this guy cannot be relied on to protect the kind of elaborate structures of government that have grown under Republican or Democratic control. Is that why he was a threat? He was just an outsider who just might take the whole thing down? I think you're I think you're um right. I think what Donald Trump did and you're right, he's a moderate guy. He's not a mega conservative. He's not a radical leftist. You know, he's from New York City. He supported a lot of democratic causes growing up in his career. And <clears throat> What he did, though, was he went to Washington with a wrecking ball and said, not only am I going to level the corruption and expose it, but I'm going to get things done. I'm actually going to end the forever wars. I'm actually going to secure the border. I'm actually going to reduce um, fiscal irresponsibility. I'm going to take on Russia and China. He did all these things that presidents going back to Bush one and before campaigned on and didn't do. But what he did in the process was expose the swamp. He exposed the corrupt, cyclical nature of people getting elected and going into Washington. And this big part of my book, Government Gangsters, and coming out with their golden parachutes. You're a secretary of this. You leave with a, you know, president of Lockheed with your 10 figure payday as long as you give them contracts during your tenure and a very cyclical nature. And the same thing happens in the halls of Congress with their House of Representatives and their senators. Of course, not everybody, but a large portion of them do that. And what Trump did was upend their entire universe, their entire way of life. So it's no surprise that Republicans appointed by Trump illegally spied on Donald Trump uh, during the whole Russiagate scandal. And and to take it one step further and personalize it, talk about a police state weaponized. I just found out that the FBI under Rod Rosenstein and Chris Ray surveilled me, a senior congressional staffer and 10 others while we were investigating Russiagate. This is the FBI under Donald Trump going after us because what did we do? We exposed their corruption and their unlawful activities. So they turn around the police state and come after and target us. It's really, um, 
it's just disturbing is putting it mildly, but we need some accountability. Ash, you mentioned something a moment ago that I want to highlight and bring out a little further, which is the the way in which people come to government and they have a modest net worth, $50,000, or they own their house, but nothing else. And then suddenly they're multimillionaires. And I think the ordinary person is a little puzzled because... Uh, the ordinary guy goes, well, you're making a salary of $110,000. How do you become such a multimillionaire? Now, the point is not that you are necessarily, I mean, maybe it is in the case of but the Bidens that there was an elaborate bribery scheme. It seems like that was clearly the case. But for most politicians, it isn't like that. It's uh, You could almost call it a legal bribery scheme because when you're dealing with, let's say, defense contractors, the U.S. government is making hundreds of millions of dollars of defense allocations every year. So think of the enormous benefit to Raytheon, to Boeing, to these defense contractors. So it doesn't cost the defense contractor a lot to say, all right, if I give a golden parachute to this congressman, uh, all I got to do is pay him three or $400,000 or maybe even a million dollars. But what's that compared to the billions that this guy can shovel my way? So in other words, I'm getting a thousand times return on my money. And that's why these companies all have major lobbying operations that spend lavishly in Washington. What they're doing in a disguised way is bribing the DC establishment. And, and they're bribing the DC establishment to ultimately take taxpayer money and push it in their direction. I mean, isn't that a description uh, of what is happening, by the way, not just with the defense industry, but with the pharmaceutical industry and many other industries? No, you're spot on. The defense industrial complex, in my opinion, as I write in Government Gangsters, I think is worse than the entire lobbying industry put together. That's not giving the lobbyists a pass. As the former chief of staff of the Department of Defense, the guy who authorized a $750 billion budget for one year alone, what you are talking about, and just to bring it to modern day, the United States, in its efforts to assist Ukraine, has expensed seven years worth of surface-to-air missiles. What does that mean? That means if we stopped right now and made at the clip we do make them for the next seven years, then we would replenish our stock at the seventh year. That's just one munition, one defense system that we have poured in billions of dollars to that has to be rebuilt. And the defense industrial complex is having a dance party. And if we expand that to the crisis in Israel, the war in Israel, of course, we're going to give them assistance. But war, unfortunately, is good for the defense industrial complex. And as you pointed out, they are all over Congress and they're not stupid. I'll give you an example. Lockheed Martin, biggest defense contractor in the world makes the F-35 jet. Do you know what they did brilliantly a few years ago? They make one piece of that plane in every single state in the United States of America. So every representative and every senator, if they knock Lockheed Martin, they go back to their constituents and say, you're taking our jobs. Wow. We'll be right back with Cash Patel. Mike Lindell just keeps on introducing great deals. He's featuring the new MyPillow My Towel. Save 50% off on the six-piece towel set. Regular price $59.96, but now for a limited time, $29.98 with promo code Dinesh. Debbie and I have Mike's 
my towels all over the house. We love them for ourselves, but we also like to get them as Christmas presents. So there's an idea for you. My Towel 6-piece set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, two washcloths. These towels are really amazing. The long staple length of the Sherpa cotton fibers make them very soft because of the long fibers. They can wrap around each other more easily, creating a smoother and softer fabric. It's soft to the touch without the lotion-y feel. It's also super Absorbent. So take advantage of this 50% off on the six-piece towel set. Call 800-876-0227. The number again, 800-876-0227. Or go to mypillow.com. Don't forget to use the promo code. It's D-I-N-E-S-H Dinesh. I'm back with uh, Kash Patel, um, author of Government Gangsters, The Deep State, The Truth, and The Battle for Our Democracy. Uh, Kash, uh, Let's talk about President Trump. You mentioned earlier that they went after him, they spied on him, they tried to impeach him, they did impeach him, and now there is a further escalation, which is that they are trying to to lock him up. And then as we speak, there's this trial in New York on, a, on, on the whole matter of him supposedly inflating the value of his assets. And yet I think to to me and to many ordinary people looking at this was sort of hard-pressed to say what this guy did that is so outrageous that he'd be facing 90-plus charges. Um, he There's not a single piece of evidence that he openly instigated the actual penetration of the Capitol. At no point, uh, I've never seen any statement by Trump that says, go inside the Capitol. So he didn't do that. Um, he had classified documents, but so did Biden. So have other presidents. Again, it's hard for me to see, well, what did Trump do that is so different than these other guys did? Uh, and similarly, in the New York case that we're talking about, evidently he made estimates of the value of his properties. The banks had their own professional reviewers who would have to look at those estimates and decide if they agreed with them. They made loans to the Trump organization. The loans were paid back. Case closed. Now he's facing these charges. I mean, there's an element of just sheer surrealism to the whole thing. And and yet the left... Day by day with a straight face. I mean, every day I see Letitia James puts out a pompous statement about this. People have no right to overvalue their own assets and uh, derive a benefit from that. And uh, so what do you make of all this? I mean, is it just the case that they're doing a shotgun approach and saying, hey, if we don't get him over here, we're going to get him over there. And this way, once we get a conviction, we're going to then count on the media to have a unanimous scream that this guy cannot and should not be on the ballot. Isn't that the end game? Yeah. Look, to me, it's a <laughs> shotgun approach of judicial vengeance, um, whether it's in state court, whether it's in federal court, whether it's in criminal or civil court. Let's quickly look at Letitia James. She campaigned campaigned on convicting Donald Trump. And today during the trial, she's out there saying, uh, I never said that. And she's literally been out there raising money and doing it. But putting that aside, as a former national security prosecutor and public defender myself, this is the first time I've ever heard of a fraud case being brought where there isn't a victim of fraud. There's literally no one identified in the New York State case that was victimized by quote unquote Donald Trump's fraud. 
And they're using some arcane rule to deprive Donald Trump of a jury, even in New York, as biased as they would be. And we've seen what this judge would do. When you combine that with the D.C. Docs case, the Florida case, the Jan 6 case and the Colorado case where they're trying to take him off the ballot. Just last week, I was Trump's lead witness um, to talk about what you talk about in the movie, January 6th, and how he legally and lawfully acted. Now, Pelosi and Bowser failed to act, but they're still using that as a pretense. Uh, to remove him from the ballot, what they can't even constitutionally do. So they're trying this approach. They're throwing a lot of darts and they're trying to hit a bullseye somewhere to be the person that gets Trump. And um, it's going to be a rough year. But to me, the biggest civics lesson is everyone's seeing a two-tier system of justice on display. And whether you hate Donald Trump or love him, you are seeing the reality of it. So you think that despite the coordinated effort by the media to cover for Biden, to italicize this is the horrible things that Trump has done. You're saying that you think that there are people, enough people in the country who are smart enough to go, uh, something is up here. And in fact, it's not hard for, I mean, for those of us by and large who are in sort of our, you know, 50 plus who have lived through presidential elections, it's not difficult to see that this is very abnormal, right? It's very abnormal to have the leading candidate of the opposition party under not one, not, I mean, I think if they had made, let's just say they made one indictment against Trump, right? And they said, you've, you took these classified papers. We've been trying to get them back. You've stubbornly been holding on to them, you know, so this is our only way to get them back. Then you could be like, okay, let's look at it. But. The promiscuity of the charges, the multiplicity of them, the fact that, as you say, some at the state level, some at the local level, um, some at the federal level, if we can't get them on the criminal, let's get them on the civil. There's a certain derangement of the whole thing. And, and let's take a pause. When we come back, I just want to ask you, are we living in a moment of national derangement? Guys, with the new film Police State Out, it's a perfect time to become an annual subscriber to my Locals channel. When you do, you get the movie included for free. It's just part of your subscription. I post a lot of exclusive content on Locals, including content that's censored on other social media platforms. On Locals, you get Dinesh Unchained, Dinesh Uncensored. You can also interact with me directly. I do a live weekly Q&A every Tuesday. Did a great one last night. No topic is off limits. I've also uploaded a bunch of films to locals, documentaries and feature films. Mine also filmed by other producers. 2000 Mules is up there. And you know about the new film, Police State. I'll be giving you the inside scoop on locals. If you're an annual subscriber, like I said, you can stream and watch for free. So check out the channel. It's Dinesh.locals.com. I'd love to have you along for this great ride. Again, it's Dinesh.locals.com. I'm back with Cash Patel. By the way, you can follow him at Truth Social at Cash or his website, fightwithcash.com. The book, Government Gangsters, The Deep State, The Truth, and The Battle for Our Democracy. You know, Cash, I mean, the sometimes I look at the country and I say there's a crazy situation over here and there's a crazy situation over there. At other times, I begin to wonder if this is just a a moment of national derangement. Uh, now, obviously, if, they, if it is, it would have to be produced by certain things. Perhaps it's the combined effect of COVID. Maybe it's the effect of, of uh, I'm not really not sure, but it seems like we hear a level of preposterousness in everyday life and sometimes coming for people and, you know, people in jackets and ties, people who are supposedly well-educated, 
who say nonsensical things. I mean, here's a tiny example. You will have professors who have been complaining about safe spaces and microaggressions and, hey, you're not using my pronouns. So they have this kind of great delicacy about how they demand to be treated. And yet they're cheerleading for Hamas. And it's like, well, how do you make sense of that? How do you in your own mind justify this kind of behavior? Um, what do you think's going on? You've just highlighted to me the ultimate hypocrisy that is plaguing the United States of America. And it's undergirded by all the things we talked about in Government Gangsters, in your book, in your movie Police State, um, the two-tier system of justice, the government gangsters colliding together to take out Donald Trump and whether we want to call it a derangement syndrome or what have you. Their hypocrisy is on full display in the two-tier system of justice. But there's one culprit we um, we, we are remiss to talk about yet, and that's their criminal conspirators in the mainstream media. None of this would be possible if the mainstream media didn't carry the water of the day. If the mainstream media didn't go out there and say it was okay to be pro Hamas, a foreign terrorist organization. It's okay for pro Hamas individuals to deface the White House and slap red paint over it, but it's not okay for Trump supporters to go and um, rally around a January 6th event. The two tier system of justice is carried on. The hypocrisy is furthered by the mainstream media and they cite chapter and verse. And this is how the Biden administration governs the Biden administration's national security failures because they have governed by fiat of what the mainstream media wants in the headlines has led us to two world wars. Now they want to use that same cesspool to try to get us out of a world war by saying, let's have a ceasefire. And the media says, oh, this is the greatest idea ever. As if the Iranian Ayatollah is going to just bend the knee all of a sudden because Joe Biden said, pretty please. But this is the reality we're facing, not just on the national, international level, but at the local level, as you identify in police state um, that, you know, and Nick Searcy, one of my favorite actors of all time, I thought it was pretty cool to see him in there. But he's playing that role, tragically, that FBI agents are playing out every day in people's communities because the weaponization is not just national. It's focused down to the town level and the media. They know this law enforcement knows the mainstream media will cover for them. Just like the mainstream media covered for the, the Nashville manifesto that finally leaked out. Um, and now they're past that news cycle. They'll just go on to the next iteration, as I say, of Russiagate and they're on to 27.0. I mean, it's a, it's a remarkable phenomenon because going back to the sixties, the media was supposed to be the external check on the abuses of government and no abuse more obvious than the abuses of the police agencies of the government. And now where we seem to have come is where the police agencies of government have cultivated sources in the media uh, and they plant stories in the media. And it's almost like the it's, it's almost like it's like we'll cover up the crimes of the Democrats if the Democrats agree to cover up the crimes of the police agencies of government. So it's a I mean, it's it's gangsters on both sides, isn't it? It's absolutely gangsters on both sides. And I want to leave you with this tragic failure of government. Just last year, Christopher Ray's FBI was caught by the Biden DOJ inspector general unlawfully using the query process in FISA 278,000 times in one year. What does that mean in basic math? That means every one of those instances was unlawful and illegal. And Christopher Ray used this sensitive database to spy on 278,000 separate Americans. 
That is ongoing right now. And there's been no measure of correction by Congress. There's been no remedy. And of course, the media, as you point out keenly, is just covering for him because they say, well, he, you know, they're chasing Trump officials. They're, they're going after MAGA Americans. Apparently, MAGA Americans are the actual terrorists and not Hamas and not Hezbollah and not the Iranian Ayatollahs. I mean, this is the, this is the generational disparity they have created by pouring into our institutions of higher learning this this hypocrisy and saying it's okay by allowing these street rioters to go out and black lives matter and pro hamas protest and say no you can do whatever you want because this chris ray and his fbi are never going to target you because they have only weaponized government to be a police state against america first maga patriots and i think americans across the board are getting sick of it but you don't have to listen to me or you look at your movie success that to me shows us that people are paying attention and they want solutions. Wow. Gash Patel, thank you very much for joining me, guys. The book, Government Gangsters, The Deep State, The Truth, and The Battle for Our Democracy. Thanks so much, Nash. I'm in the uh, chapter of Solzhenitsyn's Gulag that is called The Blue Caps. And the blue caps are the the blue caps are the guys who work in the prison system. And Solzhenitsyn is trying to understand their motivations, their psychology, what drives them. It's in a way a certain psychological exploration of the very nature of evil, because there's no other term that you could use to describe these people. Uh, and yet they are human beings like you and me. So they are they have the same appetites, the same motivations the same ensemble of feelings and emotions. So what makes them do that? What is the line separating good from evil? How can someone commit themselves systematically to an evil way of life? Here's Solzhenitsyn. It was clear to the interrogators, at least, that the cases were fabricated. And this is important to realize for our own police state, because I think the same is true with, for example, the January 6 cases. A lot of the prosecutors know that they are producing evidence that is twisted, that is distorted. It's recently come out in one of the cases, for example, involving, I believe, one of the Proud Boys or maybe one of the Oath Keepers, that the Capitol Hill police officers testifying to things were simply not on the scene at the time that those things happened. So they couldn't have happened. They, the, these Capitol Hill officers were on their way, making their way to the scene that they eventually arrived at. But they could not have truthfully described what happened because they frankly weren't even there. And yet, this was allowed in court. It was unchallenged. We only know now by looking at the video. And so, back to Solzhenitsyn, the, the interrogators know, know that the cases are fabricated. Uh, by the way, I think this is also true of the police agencies of the government, the FBI, the DHS. They are fabricating cases based upon white supremacy, they know that they're fabricated. Uh, they are luring people, the Whitmer kidnapping is a perfect example, luring people who would not have carried out a plot into a plot. Once they get them into the plot, they bust them, and then they claim to have magnificently solved a horrible, uh, impending case of terrorism, even though it's a case of terrorism that they concocted. So this has to be something you do knowingly. You couldn't accidentally lure someone into a plot. <clears throat> Now, here's Solzhenitsyn, except at staff conferences, they could not seriously say to each other or to themselves that they were exposing criminals. 
So these guys know that the people they're going after are ordinary people. They're not criminals. And so you can't even say that to anyone else because they know it's not true. You can't tell, say it to yourself because you know it's not true. <clears throat> Nevertheless, and this is the interesting part, they kept right on producing depositions page after page uh, to make sure that we rotted, meaning we, the prisoners, rotted. So they understood the cases were fabricated, yet they kept on working year after year. How could they? This is Solzhenitsyn now ruminating about motivation. Either they forced themselves not to think and simply accepted that this was the way it had to be and that the person who gave them orders was always right, or else it was a matter of progressive doctrine. He's talking about communist ideology. Notice he uses the word progressive, the very same word that we hear in this country. He gives an example, Solzhenitsyn does. He says... um, there was an interrogator in one of the most notorious um, camps, and he brought in a guy from the Krivoy Rog industrial complex. And this guy readily agreed to sign an indictment, which meant a second camp term. <clears throat> and uh, and the interrogator was really puzzled because he had been planning on a major interrogation. I'm going to break this guy down. I'm going to get him to admit things, and I'm going to give him a second term. But the guy goes, okay, yeah, fine, you can, I'll sign right here. I'll, I'll take the second term. And so the interrogator almost like blurts out, and this is a very interesting statement. He blurts out, uh, he says, you think we get any satisfaction from using persuasion? He said, we have to do what the party demands of us. You are an old party member. Tell me what, we, what would you do in my place? So, and this is a very chilling statement because... First of all, it's chilling because it's true. The interrogator is saying, I too am a cog in a wheel. I'm the interrogator. This is my job. I've got to actually wring a confession out of you. I have to make you sign. But they're making me do it. If I don't do it, somebody else will do it. If I don't do it, I might end up in your place. So put yourself in my place for a second. Obviously, you don't want to be a prisoner but I don't really want to be an interrogator really either. I don't have any more choice than you do. So if you were in my place, you would do exactly the same thing. I mean, this for me is a very, <clears throat> Solzhenitsyn, a very kind of deep um, exploration of human nature. In a sense, the interrogator is saying, I too have been by fate placed in this position. I'm, in a sense, carrying out my fated task just, to, just as you have to carry out your fated um, punishment. Uh, but you shouldn't really blame me because I am just the instrument carrying it out. And again, I'm an instrument of a re- regime. There's many other instruments at its at its disposal. <clears throat> now, Solzhenitsyn then goes on to say, and we'll pick this up next time, as he said, But most often it was merely a matter of cynicism. The blue caps understood the workings of the meat grinder and loved it. In other words, they enjoyed being in this kind of position of authority or power. It wasn't that they were just like, you know what, I'm unfortunately in this position, I have to do it. It may have been that they had to do it, but it was also true that they liked doing it. Subscribe to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify, or watch on Rumble, YouTube, and SalemNow.com.